0: Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years.
1: Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, up, Grab girl? my glasses, I'm out the door, I'm gonna hit this city. That's before a- I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, Coming back. I'm talking
0: live from the Findlay Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Only meanwhile, regular people had to
2: wait in their cars for hours. This is the press box. It's like they were lined up at a toll booth trying to leave New Jersey during the third quarter of a Jets game. Tyler Bischoff and Adam Candy. Or giants game. They're both uh both bad at football. On
1: ESPN Las Vegas
2: Adam Candy is in today. We will hear from Ed Grainy at 9 o'clock. Hopefully he's got his stopwatch out to tell us just how fast John Brown is. But we're starting with the Golden Knights and their offseason apparently being over. The first bite. No oh good, it updated. Are the Golden Knights actually done this offseason? So Kelly McCrimmon yesterday spoke to the media and he said that He's not expecting his team to be engaged in any more discussions. They added Evgeny Dodonov. They re-signed Matias Janmark. They brought back Alec Martinez. And they went out and got Laurent Brassois, a backup goalie. Uh, Do you believe him, Adam? Do you think they're done? I do not, Tyler.
0: Uh, I do not at all. Because it would be very difficult to believe that re-signing two players, filling a spot you created by a trade and adding one offense first forward on your third line is all this team believes that it needs to do. Uh, especially when we know that the clear area of need for the golden Knights was down the middle and they really haven't done anything to address that.
2: Yeah, not at all. And that, that to me is sort of the interesting part of this. If they are in fact done, like if Kelly McCrimmon is telling the truth and they are done and the, I mean, they, they are over the cap. So they'll have to do something else, but it's, it'd be a relatively small move, but, if they are, in fact, done adding, they didn't get a center. They did not improve their center depth. Um, Kelly, well, Kelly Kerman did say a couple days ago that it was people outside the organization that thought they needed centers, not people inside the organization. But they did not improve their center depth. And in reality, they they kind of just improved their winger depth. And it looks like if this is the roster, if this is what they're going for, they went for just improving their forward depth overall. Like that would have been, that's the only thing they really did positively this offseason was, hey, they made their forward depth a lot better. Kelly McCrimmon even said yesterday, he thinks this is the best top nine the organization has ever had because the third line might actually be competent next year. Yeah,
0: look, it's hard to argue with the fact that talent-wise, just on paper, that they have a lot of goal-scoring depth. Um, You can also look at the fact that A guy like Yanmark came over to this team with consistent years of declining Corsi 4 percentage and then became a 57% guy on this team while he was here. Like this, this system and the depth that they have does tend to make these players better in some ways by a guy like Yanmark going down to the third line and playing mostly against third and fourth lines as opposed to having to go out there and, you know, match up against the best of the best. So, it's not to say that they don't have depth. They just don't have the depth necessarily where they need it because we also have to acknowledge the fact that uh, Tomasz Nosek is now gone uh, from this organization and, you know, there's another guy who can play down the middle for them. And so, you know, I, I just wonder if they looked at last year's team, thought they got caught by some variance and said, you know what, run it back. Uh The problem, I think, for... When, from our perspective, Tyler, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is that we've looked at a team that has had similar issues for basically three straight years now, where they lined up against an inferior opponent in the playoffs and they didn't have what it took to beat them, even though on paper they were the more talented roster.
2: Yeah, I mean, t- technically it is variance, and normally you wouldn't have much of a problem with, oh, wow, that was just a weird playoff series, we're, we're fine, we were in the semis and we should have beaten Montreal anyways. But when it's happened, you know, two straight years, and even if you throw in that Vancouver series where they, they almost blew that one to a bad team as well, it comes back to, Where is the goal scoring on this team? We've seen Mark Stone, the best player on this team, go into massive scoring droughts in the playoffs. When this team gets eliminated, it's when Mark Stone can't score. And it's been other guys as well that are thrown in there. And kind of the issue at the end of the day is that the majority of their roster is a bunch of really good hockey players. They don't have, though, any guy maybe outside of Pacioretty that is a legitimate goal scorer, just a true goal scorer. And... When you bring back Janmark, when you go and get Dodonov, like they didn't really change that. They're still good. Like it's, it's a really good roster. It's just, I don't know that they did anything differently. That's going to change the outcome that they've seen in the last two playoff series where they get to the final four and they lose to Dallas. They lose to Montreal who they should beat. And in both of those series, they just stop scoring. I don't know that bringing back Janmark and Martinez and signing uh, of Guinea changes any of that.
0: I, I, I think when we come down to the Dodonov signing, we have to look at the fact that, look, last year in Ottawa might have been a fluke for him just because of what that roster was. Uh, It's not that hard to look and see three 20-plus goal seasons before that. Now, he also had the benefit of playing with Barkov and one of the best uh, forwards in the league down in Florida. Uh, I think you probably can give Kelly McCrimmon a check in the acquired goal scorer uh, category with Dodonov. if you think that last year it was a fluky thing for him he is 32 years old it's not like you're just banking on a young guy uh, to improve you're hoping for the fact that this is not the beginning of a downside of his career for a guy who uh, came over early in his career and then came back later uh, to Florida again
2: why is Evgeny Dodonov any better than like Riley Smith
0: better than Riley Smith well, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to be better than Riley Smith if Riley Smith's on the roster well you're saying you can right? give him a
2: check for for being the goal scorer he's never he's never put up 30
0: 30 is the number now i'm sorry 28 was not sufficient for you so you need 30 i well, yeah, I, mean, no. I, I i i listen i'm with you that they didn't necessarily Do everything that they needed to do, but I don't think the argument of he didn't reach thirty is enough to say that they didn't add someone who can score goals.
2: I mean, they but they have a lot of people that can score goals. It's do they have the guy that actually changes the game and scores goals? Like they have a lot. They had the entire roster is guys that score twenty to twenty eight goals. That's everybody on the team. So, that, I mean, Dodonov right. just yeah. fits that. I mean, it's good to have another one of those guys, but that's, I don't think anybody thought, oh, if they had had another guy that put up 25 regular season goals, they would have broken through against Montreal.
0: Okay, and that's that's absolutely reasonable. So, if your argument is that this team needs a game changer, then who is Mark Stone, right? Because you've talked about the massive droughts. You talked about We've talked about the naming of Mark Stone as captain and the fact that, Locker-room-wise, it feels like that's exactly what needed to happen for this team, but you look at where the money is committed, and the money is committed to Mark Stone at nine-ish million dollars a year, and then Alex Petrangelo at roughly the same, and you started to see, as the playoffs wore on, you started to see Alex Petrangelo, the guy who can be the game-changer for them offensively on the blue line, I don't know that they have the cap room left right now to get that kind of guy without subtracting, and then we end up in a situation like Petrangelo... And Schmidt, where you essentially were getting the difference between Petrangelo and Schmidt. That's not to say they shouldn't go do something. Like, if a Jack Eichel truly is available, and some of the packages we've seen suggested out there are what would get it done, I don't know that that should stop Kelly McCrimmon from doing it.
2: Yeah, that's the interesting part of all of this because when McCrimmon says they're done, it's a little bit of a slap in the face to the idea that the Golden Knights could be going after Jack Eichel. And we, we had a report yesterday uh, from TSN and the, the a large portion of Golden Knights fans kind of thought, okay, they're bringing back Janmark. They went and got the Donoff. It's because, you know, Alex Tuck or Riley Smith or both are going to be involved in a trade that brings Jack Eichel or are going to be gone because another big name is coming in. That was kind of the thought process there was, okay, they got the replacements for the guys they're about to trade to get the superstar player like Jack Eichel. And that was... I don't know the thought process and then McCrimmon says, no, they're done. This is their roster. And it's kind of a slap in the face. And the other part about the golden Knights off season right now, this is kind of the exact opposite of what they've done in pretty much any other off season or trade deadline. Normally they are the ones that are going after the star and landing the star player when they get a Mark stone or max patch ready, or even if the trade deadline, if it's somebody like Robin Leonard, normally they are getting like the big marquee name at the deadline or or in the off season. And this off season. They went and got depth and like good players, but it's not they didn't go after Jack Eichel. And if you believe McCrimmon, they're not going to. And really, they're just trying to run out the deepest possible team.
0: All right. So let's take a couple of potential trade packages for Jack Eichel and say, would you do this? And there's one here that I feel a lot more strongly about than I do the other. Uh, Ryan Canty from the Hockey News has Riley Smith, Peyton Krebs, Nick Haig, and a first rounder as the Buffalo ask for Jack Eichel.
2: Uh, yes.
0: In a heartbeat, <laughs> don't look back. Like, Make sure that they stay on the phone and send a private plane to ensure that everybody gets where they need to be. I
2: was going to say, if that's the Buffalo ask, I don't even think you counter. You just accept it on uh, on the face.
0: Right. I mean, essentially this deal is a like a, I would say a slightly souped up version of the Pacioretty deal. Uh, for the Golden Knights, which again, you might look back later and Peyton Krebs might be, you know, a guy like Nick Suzuki that you say, wow, it'd be nice to have him. But it's not like you've regretted having Max Pacioretty during that time. And you're not going to regret having Jack Eichel. And the thing about Riley Smith, if you haven't been listening to us the last few days, Riley Smith only has one year left on his contract at $5 million a year. And he's probably going to at least get that much in free agency, if not a, a raise. All right. So that's one. Now here's the Puck Daddy. Uh, offer a first round pick Alex Tuck Chandler Stevenson and a prospect
2: I would still do that um, especially where the Golden Knights stand now that they brought back Jan Mark and to because you're replacing Stevenson with Eichel that's an obvious upgrade and then Jack Eichel is going to make a bigger difference for this team than Alex Tuck too plus you have the replacements to actually play on the third line there um the the first round pick, that's fine. I, I don't have any issue trading that away. So I if I'm the Golden Knights, I'm accepting that one too.
0: I'll take that deal, but that deal hurts more. Um Alex Tuck is the one guy that I don't want to put in that deal. Uh because of the fact that if you want to talk about a player who could grow into that game changer that you're talking about here Tyler a guy who can be that unstoppable goal scorer we see it in flashes for Alex Tuck and he's still young enough to believe that it's in there as a consistent thing uh night in and night out and you know Chandler Stevenson has signed that a reasonable contract for a few years at a position that you need the depth and, and he seems to work well on that top line with patch and stone so uh, would I still do it yeah I'd still do it but that one would uh, that one would have me swallow hard before I said yes.
2: Uh, let me. Add, I want to talk about Alex Tuck because he has sort of always been the presumed like oh he's going to be the star he's going to be the game changer, but he's kind of been stuck on the third line because at his position right wing they've had Mark Stone and Riley Smith two guys that have been better than him. Now they have Dodonov. They also have Janmark. Like. Alex Tuck is just the third line winger at, like he's better than Dodonov right like they're going to play him ahead of Dodonov or Janmark as a third line right or I guess they could move him to the left side as a winger right like this isn't he's not getting bumped down in the pecking order is he
0: God I hope not quite honestly I mean the the guy's 25 years old like he yes he has some experience under his belt now but if you look at Alex Tuck as an NHL player He's played 249 games over the course of four years. Like he's just starting to get his legs under him at this point of his career. 33 points in 55 games last year. Uh, He can grow into it. Is he absolutely a guy on a win now team who you say to yourself, all right, it has to happen from him. No, no, but. There does, Tyler, doesn't there have to be some look at the future with this team? I can't believe we're saying this about an expansion team four <laughs> years in. But 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 here we are talking about it and saying you do have to look at the long-term future of this franchise at some point and And there has to be some place for a guy like Alex Tuck to grow into it.
2: Playoffs in three, cup in six. Year seven is irrelevant, Adam. The, the, by future, you mean this year and next year? Yes, but it's all about year six. Get it done by year six. Before we go to break, if we assume the top two lines are the same, what's the third line today?
0: Oof. <laughs> yeah, I... What do you have it as, Tyler? Because I have a hard time with that.
2: If, okay, if if they believe Matias Janmark is like a true center, which he's played center and wing, then it's you're moving either Tuck or Dodonov to their off wing and playing Janmark in the middle with Tuck and Dodonov at the wings. If Janmark's not here to be the center, then Nick was the center in the third line, and it's Tuck and either Janmark is your left winger or Dodonov with again somebody playing on their off wing and if that's the case then that means somebody like Janmark or Dodonov is moving down to the fourth line which would give them their best fourth line player in franchise history but i'm just i think it all comes back to a is Janmark a center and b are they comfortable putting Tucker Dodonov on their off wing for like basically an entire season
0: and the reason i put that back to you was i was curious to see if you believed Janmark was a center <laughs> because I, yeah, I don't know uh, like and i think if you read the tea leaves on Kelly McCrimmon, then I do think he's telling you that Dodonoff is playing on the third line. Yeah, right. If you're going to say the top nine is the best that it's been, then your suggestion otherwise would be that Yanmark or. Alex Tuck is dropping to the fourth line, which doesn't make a lot of sense for this team.
2: Yeah, it would be funny if Alex Tuck is on the fourth line next year as, hey, he's the future superstar. And now he's taking Ryan Reeves minutes. Coming up next, Aaron Rodgers. Did he just get Randall Cobb? Is that all he wanted this entire time?
0: I love this team. I love the, you know, the fans and the opportunity to play on Lambeau Field has been a dream come true. To be in my 17th season is really special. I think we can all understand, you know, Green Bay isn't, uh, you know, a huge vacation destination. People are coming here to play with me, to uh, play with our team and, and knowing that they can win a championship here. And the fact that I haven't been used in those discussions was one I wanted to change moving
2: forward. That was Aaron Rodgers. All right, Adam, the first question. When he said, I love the fans, I love the or and cut himself off before saying he loves the organization. Did he do that on purpose? Did he purposely start to say organization and stop?
0: No, I don't think he did. I think there was a clear moment of recognition there when he realized he was kind of into athlete speak and then it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a <laughs> second. No, 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 Brian Goodkunst, you step right back.
2: I, I love the idea that like Aaron Rodgers would be so far into like just a cliche about how much he loves everything that he he would even have to catch himself after he spent the last like 7 months nearly breaking up with the organization.
0: Well, the reason that I don't think that it was intentional was that Aaron Rodgers didn't hold back anything else that was intentional yeah. yesterday. Like that all was out on the table.
2: So, all right, he talked a lot yesterday. Um what what do you make of the general idea that Aaron Rodgers One of his biggest complaints, one of his biggest issues in this whole thing is that he did not have enough of a voice within this organization, that he did not have enough of a say with, you know, basically roster moves with whether it's Jake Kumaro getting cut or whoever it is. Like, what did you make of Aaron Rodgers basically saying he deserved to have more say over the last few years with the Packers?
0: I think there's a big difference between having a voice and having an ear. And I think what Aaron Rodgers really was asking for was an ear. I think he wanted a seat at the table. I think we've read too much into over the last 24 hours, Aaron Rodgers wanting to have veto power or Aaron Rodgers wanting to have say over, do you keep this guy or do you not keep uh, this guy? I think Aaron Rodgers really just wanted his opinion to be part of the process. And I think he wanted to be consulted. I think he wanted to the ability to just be someone who was involved and you know, here's the part that I can really relate to, uh, even though I am not a professional athlete who threw 48 touchdowns <laughs> last year. Like, you do reach a certain point, not only in your career and in your life, where you feel like you have a chance to say something to make the situation, the process different, not just for you, but maybe for the future as well. And Aaron Rodgers got to look at Tom Brady. You got to look at the fact that Tom Brady, you know, essentially had that sort of power when he went to Tampa Bay and thought you know this this is right and I think he feels like he has not been right within the Packers organization for a long time and let's not forget that before we were dealing with everything with Aaron Rodgers and potential retirement potential trade uh, how does he feel about the organization how many years did we sit around saying wait a second they didn't draft a receiver for him again they didn't use a first round pick on a receiver like There has been reason for lingering discontent for Aaron Rodgers for a long time. And you could tell by the way that he's talking that it's not just football for him, that the guy has really spent time on what he wants to do with his life, where he wants to be, sort of a pre-midlife crisis sort of thing. And I'm not even saying it's in crisis, more just a midlife reevaluation for him to say, who am I, where am I, what am I doing, where am I going, and how can I make things better for the people behind me? And that's the real vibe that I got from Aaron Rodgers. And honestly, it's men of a certain age. I can relate to the idea.
2: <laughs> I, uh, I, Aaron Rodgers is definitely like the player, one of the like four or five players in the NFL that you would absolutely as an organization be like, okay we will take your input and we might actually act on your input. Hell, the Packers traded for Randall Cobb. Brian Gutenkirst said today, this is what Aaron wanted. And that's why they traded for him. Like he is one of the four or five players. And it's like, it's, a, it's an interesting parallel to the NBA where we see, The players have a lot more control. The players, you know, almost in charge of what happens, whether it's Kawhi Leonard saying, hey, go get Paul George and I'll join the Clippers or LeBron going whatever team he wants to and trying to put together rosters and having a big input on it. I I find it fascinating that it has that NBA feel to it, even if he's one of the, you know, two or three players that could actually do that or actually have that kind of say because of how good he has been.
0: And that honestly is as far as you can take the player empowerment idea in the NFL because of the way the structure is set up, right? You know, there are franchise tags that can keep you away from free agency and the organization can say, oh, you're unhappy? Cool, here's some money, deal with it. Uh, And that is the situation Devontae Adams could find himself in. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers has gotten, uh, you know, his way to where he's not going to have to be with the organization next year. But look at what it costs him. Aaron Rodgers still has to come back and play for an organization or uh, as he put it and or that he does not want to be with next year he does not want to be in Green Bay that much has been made clear don't forget that in all of this Aaron Rodgers version of a business transaction is that he is going to be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers again next year not the quarterback somewhere else because he walked into that presser yesterday And Tyler, I I hope you watched it as well as listened to it because over the course of the 31 minutes that he spoke, every word that he said was measured. And when he talked about here are the guys that should have been treated better by the organization, you could see him looking down at a list that he had brought (laughs) with him. He was not about to miss a single name of a player who he thought had been done wrong by the Green Bay Packers front office. And he went on later in the press conference to talk about how he had reached out to all of those players how he had spoken to all of them he mentioned his conversations with Jordy Nelson and how Jordy Nelson handled leaving the organization he has really put a lot of thought into the way that that was handled yesterday and i hope that no one came away with it from it with a worse impression of who Aaron Rodgers is, because it was thoughtful, it was measured. I don't agree with everything that he said in it, but he has every right to say it the way that he did, and I thought he handled it as professionally as he could for the way that organization has dealt with him over the last decade.
2: Quick question for you. I'd have to see the actual quote here, but Albert Breer tweeted out about uh, the Packers GM, Brian Guttenkurs. He apparently brought up today that Rodgers has three years left on his deal at the moment and that we. Quote, we may alter that, but even at that stage, it won't be a one-year contract. We may, haven't they already altered that? Isn't that why Aaron Rodgers is back?
0: He was very careful yesterday to not get into the actual logistics of what's going to happen next year, right? I I think that the Green Bay Packers could find themselves either in some salary cap trouble with the league, depending on whether they are theoretically doing something that is off the books right now, right? If there's some sort of tacit agreement right now. And I think you also don't want to broadcast to the other 31 teams in the league what your plans are for Aaron Rodgers' contract if the Green Bay front office wants to have any leverage at all in trading him.
2: All right, coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show to jump into the Golden Knights offseason. Do you feel a little bit like
0: the bad guy in all this? How, how do you kind of, you know, resolve that? Is that something you're okay with sort of being the person out front that's taking the brunt of this?
2: Um, David, these are hard jobs and uh, you have to make tough decisions. And, um, you know, I, I just uh, really feel it's always about what's, uh, what's best for the organization. And that's what I'm trying to do. You know Bill had a really special relationship with Mark Andre I, I do not suspect that's going going to change uh, moving forward I know that you know they were they were very close Bill uh, Bill thinks uh, thinks the world of, uh, of flower and I know that flower has a great deal of respect uh, for Bill but uh, you know again for me you know I try to do what I uh, believe is in the best interest of the of the Vegas Golden Knights every decision that we make is uh, is based on the same thing when the shop- Joining us now is Ryan Wallace from the VGK Insider Show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan, do we need to come up with like a super villain alter ego for Kelly McCrimmon now?
1: No, no, <laughs> probably not. Just Kelly McCrimmon, general manager of the Vegas Golden Knights. A the
2: That's good enough as just general manager of the Golden Knights. That inspires enough fear?
1: I, I mean, listen, I think general manager of any pro- professional sports team for the players in the league and knowing how you know ruthless this business can be at times and, and how much you've got to sacrifice to try to get better, I think, yeah, that's probably an accurate statement.
2: Uh, so do you believe when Kelly McCrimmon says yesterday they're done, as far as major moves go, they'll have to do something to get under the salary cap, but do you believe him when he says they're done, that this is it for their offseason?
1: You know, I've kind of gone back and forth on this one. Like, initially, I didn't really believe him. Um, just because I mean like who knows right? like you might get um, you, you might get a general manager that you had something going on with come back and say, okay, the price is, has dropped and you might be able to make another move. I'm trying of get the sense right now though as I kind of look through the roster right now for the golden Knights and I, I, I parse through some of the other comments that Kelly McCrimmon made about this top nine being the best it's been for this organization it's the best collection of forwards when you kind of look through it, um, I don't know that it's the flashy signing over the course of this offseason, but you know those statements, they, they ring true, and you can find more balance, you can find more scoring down the lineup for the Golden Knights, which is kind of what I thought they needed to do this offseason anyway, so maybe they are. I, 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 the more time between when, when we spoke to Kelly yesterday to where we are now, I, I have a tendency to believe that the big deal isn't coming.
0: Ryan, is Evgeny Dodonov more the guy he was in Ottawa last year or the more the guy he was in Florida for the three years before that? Because a lot of this offseason and how we evaluate it, I think, will probably hinge on how that deal works out.
1: Yeah, the Dodonov thing is really interesting to me because you know you got a player who put up 28, 28, and 25 goals in three seasons um, from 2017 to 2020 with the Florida Panthers. So you've got a guy that can is proven to be able to score when he's playing on a team that has a very, very good center in Alexander Barkov. Now, can Gadanov do it without, say, an elite center? I'm I'm not sure. But you know, still thirteen goals in fifty five games for a very suboptimal Ottawa Senators team. I think that there's certainly promise there, but you're you're looking for promise in a thirty two year old winger. And for the Golden Knights, I think the question, at least this offseason, was always going to be, how do you address the center depth? It seems like that's not really a major concern within the organization. And for me, Dodonov's the guy that goes to the front of the net. And, and how many times have we talked about the Golden Knights in the playoffs not being able to get to the front of the net, not being able to find goals in those tough areas to score? If Dodonov can kind of be uh, somewhere in the middle between who he was in Florida and what he was last season in Ottawa, and he's playing on your third line, then that gives you a legitimate option to score goals beyond just Alex Tuck.
2: If we assume the top two lines stay the same, what would be your third line today?
1: Yeah, I mean, if it stays the same, then you're looking at Dodonov with uh, Nolan Patrick and Alex Tuck, and, and that would probably be, and I know we say this, more or less every single offseason, and then every single time the Golden Knights change something up with the third line, but that probably would be the best third line in Golden Knights uh, history.
2: Nolan, Patrick, over like Nick Wall or even Matthias Janmark playing center?
1: Well, yeah, and, and I'll tell you why. One, I think the upside for Patrick is is probably greater than what it would be for Janmark and Nick Wall. and I think that if you have a third line of Dodonov with Patrick and Alex Tuck, then it gives you the option of having Matthias Janmark Nick Waugh, and then insert player um, to to, to your fourth line. And, uh, you know, I would go with Keaton Kolasar and Will Carrier. It just kind of gives you more options to have an actual fourth line that scores goals. No,
2: the Golden Knights don't want a fourth line that scores goals. Haven't you been paying attention the last four years?
1: Well, I think I've been paying attention this offseason, and if I'm going to deduce anything, it's that this this Golden Knights team wants a fourth line that, that can put the puck in the back of the net if needed.
0: What do you make of the signing of a backup goaltender with some amount of the cap space that this team has versus rolling Logan Thompson out there as, I don't want to say your 1B, probably more your number two quite clearly of the way this team is changing going from having a tandem.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I don't quite understand the let's rush Logan Thompson to the NHL and see what he's got after a shortened season in the AHL where he was absolutely phenomenal. I think the potential is there for Logan Thompson. I think one of the best things that he has going for him is the fact that he is supremely confident in his abilities. But the fact of the matter is, last year in the AHL, that was his first year in the AHL. And through you know just a shortened season, I don't understand wanting to throw him to the wolves, so to speak, in the NHL. For so the Golden Knights, yes the Pacific Division is not particularly good. However, you don't want to run Robin Leonard into the ground and, and have him play a, a, a ridiculous amount of games because you don't necessarily trust what you have in your backup. I think getting a cheap option as your backup, someone that's done it before at the NHL level, is the responsible play, and that will allow Logan Thompson to have a full season in the AHL as the guy, not to surprise, and then you can start to trickle him into the NHL and get him ready to go maybe in a year or two. But I just don't think it's the right time to put all that pressure on Logan Thompson.
2: Is this team better than the one that got eliminated by the Montreal Canadiens?
1: Ooh, um, you know, it's hard, right? Like, on paper right now, depending on kind of how you mess with the lines, I think that there's certainly more ability beyond just your top six and Alex Tuck to find offense to score goals um, you know I, I think it kind of depends on Alex Martinez and, and if he's able to come close to replicating what he'd replicated last season um, I mean I believe in Robin Leonard I think he's a really good goaltender Laurent Brassois is uh, a decent backup he's been about a 500 goalie his entire career in that position um, I, I think it's real close I, I really do it's it, it, going to really depend and it's impossible to answer that question until I understand what Pete is going to do with this lineup what the lines are going to look like and who the, uh, the healthy scratches are going to be but if you know if I'm sitting here having to give you an answer right now I think they're they're probably slightly better but I don't think it's astronomical
2: will we be talking about their depth at defenseman as a problem throughout the season
1: um, you know I, I don't think so. I, I mean, it, the only way we're going to end up talking about that is if there's a, a major injury or something like that to to one of the really key pieces. And the key pieces for me right now on defense for the Golden Knights are Alex Trans, Theodore, uh, Alex Martinez, and I'm going to put Zach Whitecloud in there. As good as Braden McNabb is, I kind of feel like Zach Whitecloud's kind of gotten himself to that point where he's a vital piece of what goes right for the Golden Knights defensively. Uh, you know, But at the same time, you do have Dylan Coglin who is pushing the door and, and should be a, a big piece of, of what the Golden Knights do this season. Um, defensively, it's not necessarily his, 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 his the best calling card, I and mean, he's fine in his own zone, but you want him in there for offensive um, uh, capabilities and you want him in there for his shot. So, um, I mean, if, if you're dealing with injuries to, to your best defenseman, it's probably becomes an issue, but if you don't have to worry about that too much, I, I think the Golden Knights defense is just going to be fine.
2: What is your favorite Olympic event you've watched
1: so far? Oh, okay. So, um, listen, I, I think table tennis is awesome because, like, I I, I always imagine, like, the serve would be the most intense shot of table tennis, but it really isn't. It's It's very hard to understand the physics of the serve in table tennis, but I'll tell you, like, water polo is the most baffling thing i've ever watched (laughs) in my entire life
2: i don't know why anybody signed up to ever play water polo in the first place
1: It it, like like that is just the craziest thing all you're doing is exhausting yourself like you're treading water forever (laughs) and ever and ever and then you've got to jump out of the water and then like every possession is a goal it's insane. Like, it, it it blows my mind. I don't understand it, but it's really, really cool.
2: You didn't even mention the best part. The opponent is trying to drown you for about half the game.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, it's a very dangerous sport, and I love the fact that the penalty box is literally just a square on the <laughs> pool in the corner, and you've got to feel shame, like legitimate shame. It's fantastic.
2: Well, he is Ryan Wallace. Uh, you guys are still on the air this week, right? You're off next week.
1: Uh yeah, we we have today's show and tomorrow's show, and then you will not see us for a while.
2: All right. So Jack Eichel's getting traded to the Golden Knights next week when you guys are off the air. Uh <laughs> thanks, Ryan. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks, guys. All right. Coming up next, we're gonna jump into the Major League Baseball Trade Deadline because the New York Yankees are buyers. 2 2, and that's lifted pretty deep to left center field. It sends back long. Still going back,
0: looking up. See you later! Into the Mariners bullpen, a two run home run for Kyle Tucker, and it is 11 of 4 Astros. Tucker goes deep for the
2: 20th time this year. By the way, Jared, did you ever pick up Kyle Tucker in fantasy baseball? He was gone when I tried to. <laughs> The MLB trade deadline is tomorrow and I've got an interesting tweet here from Chelsea Janes, who covers the Nationals for the Washington Post. Dave Martinez just said Max Scherzer will pitch the first game of the Nationals Phillies doubleheader that begins in like an hour. Are they really going to pitch Scherzer before he's supposed to be traded?
0: Man, I have the full dog with his head to the side tilted look right now like they're gonna put max scherzer out there when this (laughs) franchise is going to either lose him or have to commit significant money to him in the offseason and they have a chance to have a bidding war among multiple teams for the most impactful player in the entire league who will be traded at the trade deadline who theoretically has triceps inflammation that he was held out with Yeah, that that makes all the sense (laughs) in the world, Tyler, doesn't it? What are they doing? Like what are they doing? Because if they look if they love Max Scherzer and they want Max Scherzer on their team, all well and good, just re-sign him in the offseason, do what the Yankees did with their oldest Chapman and deal him away and then bring him back. This team has, let me make sure I have the updated number, a zero point eight (laughs) percent chance to make the playoffs. Make the deal.
2: Um I, I know the report, I think it was Jason Stark was reporting that a lot of teams thought, in the, or maybe it was the Nationals thought even, that they would get a deal agreed to with another team by Wednesday so they could take it to Max Scherzer, who has a no-trade clause, and say, here's here's the trade, here's who you would go to, and give him time to accept it. That has not happened. So what you, if you put a percentage on it, how confident are you they actually do trade Max Scherzer?
0: I still think it's better than a 50-50 bet that they deal Max Scherzer. And Max Scherzer has some Aaron Rodgers to him. Uh, I kind of wonder, Tyler, if maybe Max Scherzer behind the scenes is the one who said, oh, you're not trading me? Then I'm pitching. I, like, that, that,
2: that That is a good point. Yeah, I, I could see that happening. Like, I'm not sitting out for an entire, what would it be, like 10 days at that point.
0: Right. I mean, if the guy's going to basically say, look, I need a throw day and I'm going to go out and do it, uh, and I'm I'm taking two, thir- two turns through the rotation and throwing it at 75%, fine but I need to get out there and you know as the guy who brought a World Series home to to the Nationals I think Max Scherzer's probably earned that cachet
2: oh I kind of love that hypothetical just because if he pitches today and it's like uh-oh the velocity on his fastball is down like four miles an hour does that like make him untradeable at that point for other teams? yeah right
0: that, 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 that would be uh <laughs> that'd be pretty hilarious although I think we probably have a sense of who Max Scherzer is <laughs> At this point, uh, I don't know that anyone believes that there is truly uh, right triceps inflammation beyond what every starting pitcher deals with every time he throws.
2: All right. Your New York Yankees. I guess it's still not officially done yet, but they are acquiring Joey Gallo. Um, Two days ago, you were mad because you said they shouldn't be buying anything at all. So how do you feel about them buying at the deadline and trading for Joey Gallo?
0: I'm glad you brought this to an authority uh, Tyler as not only a Bishop Gorman grad who can weigh in on another Bishop Gorman grad, uh, but a Yankees fan who is going to try to make the most sense of this that I can. Uh, Speaking of playoff odds, the New York Yankees have a 42% chance to make the playoffs 42. And yet they just sold off three reasonable prospects and a fourth eh, one to bring in Joey Gallo. Now, Look, every metric on Joey Gallo suggests that he is a player who's going to add value to this team, not only this year, but next. And here's why I can live with this, because he's not just a rental for this year, because Joey Gallo can go out there next season as a really good defensive outfielder and a guy who seems tailor-made for right field in Yankee Stadium and give them 2022 value as well. If they were just making the deal for this year, I would be in my usual spot atop the building ready to jump uh, but I still think this team should not be going for it.
2: <laughs> so does he does he change enough? Like, do, do you have any confidence the Yankees are going to track down the A's for that second wildcard spot?
0: The Yankees have a four game series in Oakland at the end of August that will probably go a long way to determining that. Uh, do I have confidence they can track them down? Yeah, I mean, right now. The Yankees are one back in the loss column of the Oakland Athletics. Now, the the Yankees also have three games in hand and still have some challenging games in the division left. But even if they chase them down, is the cost of making a trade worth it right now? I guess the Yankees front office believes that it has depth to work from. It did not give up any of its top three prospects in Jason Dominguez, Clark Schmidt, Anthony Volpe. But... You know, In the end, I don't think it was the right move for this team to try to add. I think they had an opportunity right now to sell some players, Aaron Judge included, uh, to try to jumpstart this team with a new core. And I don't think that they did the right thing by making a move to acquire someone. That being said, if they were going to make a move, Joey Gallo was probably the smartest move they could have made.
2: One of the moves that I find fascinating was the Oakland A's acquiring Starling Marte from... The Marlins, they get an outfielder who's a solid outfielder. He's gonna help them, but he's a rental. He does there is no future value on Starling Marte unless they're able to re-sign him. And that doesn't sound like the A's. But the A's gave up one of their best pitching prospects in Jesus Lazardo. And I I the fascinating part to me is it feels like they the Marlins were able to get Jesus Lazardo. They were able to get one of the better pitching prospects. Because the A's needed the cash. Because the other part of this deal is the Marlins are paying for the majority of Starling Marte's salary the rest of this year. And I can't help but think the Oakland A's gave up a prospect better than they had to because they're cheap.
0: They are cheap. uh, The Oakland A's organization might make a deal like this just to highlight how (laughs) cash-trapped that it really is. Uh, I have some questions about Marte also. He's... His profile this year is just strange. Uh, his walk rate is way, way up. Uh, granted, Miami doesn't have anybody else. So maybe teams are pitching around him. But his strikeout rate has spiked this year. His isolated power is down. Uh, I'm not sure that this is the guy that I would have given up my one of my top pitching prospects for. On the other side of this, by the way, uh, if you're the Marlins, look at this. The Marlins might actually have a competent rotation next year. Like, if Jesus Luzardo can work out some of the issues that he's had. Part of the reason Oakland traded him was because they gave Luzardo a chance in the rotation this year, and it did not work out. But you look at what the Marlins are building, and they're building it the right way. Uh, Derek Jeter's franchise has more pitching up and coming than his old one.
2: Oh, oh you're taking shots at your own team. Are, are you jealous of the Marlins' rotation?
0: What's not to be jealous of with the Marlins rotation? They're young, they throw well, and they're at very little risk of ending up like Corey Kluber who went 20 pitches too far and is done for the year.
2: Well, it's all for nothing because the Astros acquired two relievers, so they won the World Series already. They've clinched it.
0: No, the biggest thing that the Astros did was that they demoralized the Seattle clubhouse. (laughs) That's the part I love the most about this. Kendall Graveman was on the verge of crying, and the Mariners, are pissed at General Manager Jerry DePoto. <laughs> I love the whole thing. Just by making the trade, they killed the Mariners.
2: The actual best part of the Astros-Mariners trade is the Astros sent Abraham Toro to the Mariners. Abraham Toro hit a home run in every single game of the series between the Astros and Mariners, one for the Astros and two against the Astros. He also managed to lose all three games of that series because he got traded after the Astros lost and before the Mariners lost the next two. But Abraham Toro is going to hit a home run in every game he ever plays for the rest of his life.